hey guys, people are sitting on the front row. I don't know what's happening around here. Revival might be breaking out or something, so just stay tuned. My name is Randy, by the way. I'm one of the elders here at Doxa. So glad to be here. So glad that you're here. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus Christ, what I ask you to do today is what I really ask you and need you to do every week, what we all need you to do every week. Lord, I pray that those who are believers in this room would join me in the prayer uh, that Jesus Christ, you would come yourself through your Holy Spirit and you would preach to us this morning. Uh, That uh, it wouldn't be my skill, my knowledge, even my studying of this text that uh, would be conveyed, but that you would come and in your power and your wisdom and your exceeding love and your powerful presence would come and speak life to our dead souls, would come speak encouragement to our suffering hearts, would come speak health to those of us who are suffering and feel like we're about to go under. That would speak conviction to those of us who are straying. That would draw you all that are in this room to yourself. But we ask this in faith and we ask it in desperation for we do call out for you. And God, we ask it with the belief that you're already here and that you will do the very thing that we're asking you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, today we're back in our series on the Gospel of John. Uh, Last week we paused for a week to take a look at Philippians 3, verse 12. And if you were here or you listened to it via a podcast, I think you're going to see this week how it really ties in together with the passage this week. Uh, It was about, last week, uh, Philippians 3, 12 was about our desire. Uh, Our desire to know Jesus and how that desire must be the overriding and focused passion of all of our lives. Uh, This week, though, just to catch up with what's going on before the passage that Phil just read for us, uh, Jesus had just fed over 5,000 people. We think the crowd was up to 20,000. It could have been more, but somewhere around 15 to 20,000 people because it's just 5,000 men plus women and children. Jesus fed them from one little kid's lunch of five loaves and two fish. He multiplied and fed the whole entire crowd. And then after that, he decides he's going to cross the lake and he's going to minister on the other side. And he, what he does is it's getting night and he tells the disciples, you guys go on ahead. And he stays and then he decides to join them by just walking across the lake on top of the water. That's how he, he gets across. And when the next mornings we saw the passage, when the, his crowd of people who were following him, all those that had stayed around, when they see, hey, Jesus isn't here. We, don't, we saw the boat that the disciples went on. We don't know where he went. They decide, hey, we're going to cross the lake to the other side over there. And so they get to the other side and they meet Jesus over there. And now, at this point, as a preacher, Jesus has been preaching. As a preacher, this, that would be pretty exciting. Because be, it, it's got to be pretty, it's got to stoke you a lot to think, hey, these people want to hear me so bad, they're going to cross the lake to find me. It's just got to like stoke something. But Jesus isn't flattered, and he doesn't approach them that way. The, the crowd comes over there, they, they come to him, and he says, he doesn't say, oh, I'm so glad you have come to follow my ministry, that you're that connected to me. He says, hey, you aren't following me because of who I am. You're following because of what I did for you. I filled your belly with five loaves and two fish, and you think that's pretty amazing. I wowed you, and I fed you. 
I sustained you. And you think, hey, let's stick around this guy and we're going to be okay. They were, you're not following because of what the, the miracle, that sign, what it pointed to that I am the Messiah. I am God. I am the bread of life. He said, you're just following me because of what you get out of it. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to key in on verse 27. It's really the summary of what Jesus was saying in this whole larger passage. John 6, verse 27. Jesus said this to the crowd. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Jesus says, you're not seeking the right thing and you're not seeking even that thing in the right way. What he says is, he said, first of all, he says, do not work for food which perishes. And what Jesus is saying here is he said, he said there's basically two types of food. Uh, what does that mean? Well, there's, what he's really saying is, what, what does food do? What does the bread do that they ate that when he multiplied the, the loaves and fishes? What did that bread do? The bread sustained them. It gave them energy. That's why we consume food, right? It's pleasurable. It's yummy. It's great. But the reason that we eat food, the reason we get hungry is because we need fuel that's going to fuel our lives. We need energy. We need nourishment. That's what food is, the source of energy energy or nourishment. And Jesus is what he's talking about, is he's talking about what energizes us. What is it that gives us energy? What is it that fuels us? And he says, every single one of us are either fueled or energized by that which passes away or that which will lead you or me to eternal life. What he's really talking about is he's talking about materialism versus himself materialism versus Jesus. And this is what he says the problem is. He says, whenever you're working for what is material, when that is what energizes you, that is what gives you life, that is what fuels you, when the material is what fuels you, he says, this is the problem, that doesn't last, and the work to get it is burdensome. It's wearisome. Now the problem isn't material things, right? Because Jesus had multiplied the bread and the loaf, the, the bread and the fish, because they were hungry and they needed to eat. But the material thing is not is not evil. It is not bad. That's not the problem. We must eat and drink. We need shelter. We need clothing. We need income. We need meaningful work. These are needs that human beings has. The problem, though, he says, is what is the location of our energy source? When what is material? What is tangible? What is touchable? When that is the source of my identity, then I will burn through that source. I will constantly be consuming it like food. I always get hungry again. I will constantly be consuming it and it will never be enough. Proverbs 27, 20 says this, Sheol and Abaddon, those are pictures of hell, are never satisfied. And never satisfied are the eyes of man. Do you get that? Do you ever, like, do you ever have a good thing and you think, that's good, that's enough, I'm going to move on now? If you taste or experience something that is really good, a food, a meal, a contact with a person, a relationship, a car, a house, if you, if you can be perfectly happy with whatever car you are driving, but as soon as someone who's driving a much nicer car than you and you slip in beside that, all of a sudden, what, what happens when the next time you get in your own car? 
this is a load of... What am I... What am I driving? You could be perfectly happy with your house. You could have just spent money and bought your house or just fixed up your house, but someone invites you over and you go into their house and it's nicer, larger, bigger, cleaner, better. And all of a sudden you get home and you're like, we live in a dump. We never taste and are satisfied. The eye of man is never satisfied. Ecclesiastes 1.8 says this, says this, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. It isn't that loop that we live in of never being satisfied. Isn't it wearisome and tiring? Isn't it just mentally, physically, emotionally exhausting? You're stuck in this loop of wanting more, thinking that you need more, longing for more, to be more, to be better, to have more, to have better things, to be a better person. And you can never reach the goal that you're reaching because there's always something higher and better. Your eye is never satisfied and life is wearisome and exhausting. Not just physically, but mentally, emotionally. The fuel of materialism is never enough. And the result the Bible tells us, Jesus is telling us here, is continual weariness. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, I'm glad. I'm glad Randy's preaching about this for all the material people in this room. Now, that's, that's not me, but I'm glad he's preaching about that for, for those. There's some people in this room that need to hear that. I'm not material. People who are material are people who, are, who live in bigger houses than I do. They have multiple houses. They drive nicer cars, more expensive cars, at least than I do. Material people have lots of money. I actually hate those people. <laughs> the question is, why do you hate them? Could it be because they have it and you don't? See, you and I can be racked with, trapped by, looking for fuel from all that is material and not have much fuel. A hungry people, a hungry person doesn't have to have food to be hungry. And you can be trapped looking for that which is material to sustain you and to empower you and to energize you, whether you have a lot in your account or little, whether you have a large house or small house, whether you even know what it's like to be wealthy or not, you can be trapped in that which is material. Materialism has actually nothing to do with your wealth or your possessions. It has to do with what fuels you. Do you hate or despise people who have more than you? Is it because those material things are the source of your identity? Whether you have identity or not. How much you have determines how high or low your identity is. Are they, could they possibly be your source of energy? And what Jesus is saying, though, is he says there's a way to live this life without, without constantly burning out of our energy source, without constantly being wearied. But if your identity is placed in the fact, if your identity is, fact, is placed in the fact that God sent the bread of heaven to you, for you, 
That just as he multiplied, just as Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fish for that vast crowd, so because he sent the bread of life, the bread of heaven for you, he will give you all that you need, all that you require, no matter what, and that you can bank on that because Jesus gave himself to you and for you. The bread of heaven gave himself to be broken for you. If your identity is placed on that, that he was poured out like wine for you, that his blood was poured out for you, that he gave his life for you. And not only that, not only did did he do that for you, but he did that with you. That you are so identified, if your identity is, is, if you realize that your identity is so tied in with Jesus, that scripture tells us that not only did he die for you, but you died with him. And that you live in him. If your identity is wrapped up in that, think of what that could do. Romans 6, 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Colossians 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If that was your identity, that the bread of heaven was given for you, broken for you, is, is continually living to give himself to you, that you died with him, that you rose with him, and you will be raised on the last day, how would that change the way that you lived? What kind of energy would that bring you? Jesus said this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Is that your identity? Is that your identity? Hear Jesus saying today, don't work for food that perishes. It will never satisfy and you will constantly be exhausted. What he does say is, don't work for the perishing food, but he says, look at that, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Jesus is saying, not only are there two kinds of food, he's saying there are two kinds of life. What he's talking about is qualities of life. There are two Greek words for life. One is bios or bios. The other is zoe. The meaning for bios is pretty obvious. It means biological life. Uh, a jellyfish has bios. Uh, a raccoon has bios. Flowers have bios. Our Valentine's flowers had bios until about a week and a half ago. And they just got thrown away two days ago. They didn't have bios for about a week. In our house. It was pretty ugly. But, but zoe has a different meaning. The Greek word zoe that's translated life, it has to do with more, more of a quality of life. It's the Greek word that you would use if you were in a hammock by the beach and, or, or it had hiked up to a, a summit and you're looking out over the view or you had just enjoyed a great meal with good friends and you said, ah, oh, this is the life. Or ah, oh, this is really living. What do you mean when you say that? Are you existing in a biological sense in any more way at that point than you are at any other time? No, what you're saying is the quality of life right now is superior to that of the rest of life. So when Jesus says, when he uses the term eternal life, 
He takes that, that, that word zoe, which means quality, more of a quality of life, and he adds the term eternal to it. He modifies it with eternal. And, and this is the word that would be used to describe what it is to, to, for God to have life. It's hard for us to even reach a word that means that, but eternal means forever, before the ages began and going on forever. It's the best word that we can use to kind of describe what it means for God to be alive or to be living. What he, so what he's doing is that he tags eternal onto Zoe, eternal, God's kind of life attached to a quality of life. What he's talking about is an eternal quality of life that could be yours and that could be mine. It's not talking about duration or just duration. It's talking about a divine quality of life, a God-enhanced quality of life, untouched by the threat of death and decay. That's what he's talking about. What he's talking about is this. He's talking about the difference between existing and living. He's talking about the difference between existing and living. You see, merely existing forever is really no great reward, is it? If I could tell you, you could live forever in the state that you are right now. Do you think that would, that would be a reward? If you were to carry in for all, all of your life, continue the cycle that you've been with all of your anxieties, all your fears, all your loneliness, all your tendency to hurt other people, your own sense of guilt, your own sense of failure, would that be something to celebrate? What he's saying is there's a difference between existing and really living. Are you experiencing the eternal quality of life even now? For lack of a better term, are you you experiencing a God-enhanced kind of life? This is what he means by eternal life. Not just life that goes on forever, though the threat of death and decay is removed. What he's talking about is a life that is not threatened at all by sin, our own decay, our own brokenness. It's a life full of the kind of life that God leads, a life of exhilaration, a life of joy, a life of unimaginable love, and a life of never-ending peace. That's what he's talking about. That's what eternal life is. If you're just existing, that means that you're working for materialism, an energy source and an identity that doesn't last, and you just keep consuming it. You're trying to achieve, but what you're trying to achieve is a quality of life, but that quality of life doesn't last. And it's not found by whatever is fueling you. And here's what you can tell. You can tell what's fueling you. You can tell what is actually fueling you and what you're working towards. There's some telltale symptoms. If you are continually unfulfilled, you're continually weary in your soul. Not just exhausted. I have three kids. I'm regularly exhausted. I'm talking about wearied and spent in your soul. Continually, like a never-ending loop. You can tell what's fueling you and what you're working towards. And if you're not a Christian, that's the cycle that you are locked into. There is no off-ramp. There is no exit ramp off of that loop other than Jesus. He's not giving us 
just a promise of continual, eternal existence. He's calling you and offering you a different quality of life fueled by a different fuel. But if you're a Christian and you're living in that loop, it's a true shame. You can do it. You can be a Christian and living in the loop of consuming that which never fulfills, pushing for something that you can never reach, merely existing and locked in a continual loop over and over again. The problem with that is that's not who you are anymore. Do you hear that, believer? That's not who you are anymore. That's not the quality of life that you have been given in Christ. He says, don't work for the food that perishes, but that which endures to eternal life, the kind of life that's full of exhilaration and joy and love and peace. And if you're a believer, if you're truly a believer and you're locked into that cycle, what you've done is you've forgotten what you've been given. You've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten who Christ says, what, who he is and what he says he is to you. He says, I am the bread of life. I'm not saying go out and find a better way of living so you can be more fulfilled. I'm, he's saying, I, you, there's no hope found in that loop. I alone am the off-ramp, but I'm giving myself to you. To be the bread that will lead you to eternal, ever, never ending, full of joy, love, peace, and an exhilaration kind of life. And then Jesus tells us how we can leave that loop of life behind. And he says this. He says, don't work for the food that perishes, but work for that which will endure to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Look at that. Which the Son of Man will give to you. Jesus is saying, first of all, that kind of life, that eternal, God-enhanced, God-nature kind of life can only come from himself, which the Son of Man will give to you. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for that which endures to eternal life. What's the source of that eternal life? The Son of Man. Jesus is talking about himself, and so he makes this claim about himself. He's saying, I alone can give eternal life. Others may offer it. Others may promise it. Others may sell it to you, but only I can give it to you. Only I. Only he can. And that's because only he has eternal life and only he is eternal life. And if we don't have, if you are here and you do not have that kind of eternal life, which none of us have on our own, it's because you are not in proper relationship to Jesus. Now, that word relationship can be a little bit confusing, or at least it was to me growing up. Because whenever you hear being a, you're not in the proper relationship to Jesus, some of us think about friendships. 
And so what we think is, like Randy's saying, is you just need to be in a better relationship with Jesus. Like you need to be, like you would, to, if I said, hey, if I told my kid, hey, be nicer to each other. You're just like, hey, I just need to be nicer to Jesus. I need to listen to him. I need to be more of a, a better pal or friend to Jesus. And, and while Jesus does call us friends and a Christian's relationship to him is incredibly intimate, what he's talking about here, what we're getting at here, is not just a relationship like, hey, be nicer to Jesus. What is coming out here. Here is our essential posture towards him or our position towards Jesus. How many times have you, you know those USB plugs? How many, how many times have you ever like, actually tried to plug in a USB plug like, without looking at it upside down? Like every single time, right? I don't know if I have ever plugged in the USB correctly. The first, if I ever have, I feel like I won, like I deserve like an award. Like, hey, look at me. I, I put it in the first time. It's a 50-50 chance, but I feel like most of the times I'm plugging it in the wrong way. That USB plug has to be in the proper relationship or position towards the USB receptacle to fit in. And we must be in the right relationship or position with Christ or we will not experience eternal life. It's not just, hey, Jesus, would you come be my pal? It's recognizing Jesus for who he is and putting myself in the right relationship to him. He is the son of God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and the savior of the world. And there is no other son of God, there is no other king, there is no other Lord, and there's no other salvation apart from him. And the right relationship, the proper position for me to be in with him is to correspond to each of those claims that he makes about himself. To worship him as son of God, to bow to him as king, to obey him as Lord, and to recognize I have no help in myself or anybody else other than in you. And if you do not lead me, guide me, save me, I have no other hope, no other help. And then he says this, he says, not only is that life found in the son of man, he's saying that kind of life can only be given. Did you hear that? That which the son of man gives. He's, if you want to understand anything about Jesus, then you have to understand what kind of insult this question was that people asked. And they said, what works must we do for God? What works must we do to God? And what they're saying is, what he says, you need this eternal life. You need the bread of heaven. They said, what works must we do? What, what must we do, basically, is what they're saying. What must we do to earn that kind of bread? What must we do to earn that eternal life? And that's a fundamental misunderstanding that all of us have. And it's based upon two incorrect assumptions, and we all share them by nature. And it's what God has to help us overcome if we're ever going to come to him. And it's what the remaining thinking that he has to change in us to guide us and lead us once we come to him. We, first of all, we must understand our ability. We think that we're more capable than we are. We think we're more capable than we are. When he says, when they say, hey, tell us what must work, tell us what works we must do to earn that eternal life. He's, they're, they're fundamentally misunderstanding their ability to earn anything. They cannot earn eternal life. You'd only be given. But we all think too highly of our own ability. 
They fundamentally misunderstand their ability and they fundamentally misunderstand their independence, just like you and I do. You see, all of us think that we ought to be and that we deserve to be independent. We ought to be, we deserve to be, we not dependent upon anybody, including God. Most of us, we really want God to help us, but we want to fundamentally determine our own course and we want to lead and guide our own lives and we want to prove that we're able and capable apart from him. And that's the same lie that came to Adam and Eve in the garden. You can be independent and you can be able apart from him. You see, here's the great secret in life. You and I weren't made to be able and independent. The great secret of life is that we are absolutely, we were made to be absolutely and fully dependent on him. We were made, we were made to receive everything, everything, everything from his loving hands. Think of the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had worked there, but it wasn't by the sweat of their brow, was it? The garden was filled with every good thing. They enjoyed the bounty of the Lord, life and breath and all the good creation that was given to them. And then once that, that fell, fast forward to the end. If you're familiar with the book of Revelation, you get to the end. And what, is, what, what do we see happening? What does God do? It says that God himself lays out a banquet table and prepares a feast for his people. Now you might think, well, if we're going to be saved, then we're the ones going up there. We're, we, should be, we should be preparing a feast for him, right? And thankfulness for all he's done for us. Shouldn't we be the ones preparing a feast for God, thanking him for all that he's done? But see, by nature, he is the giver and we are receivers. And eternal life means that we are utterly and fully dependent on God. That's what faith is. And that's why faith is so central to Christianity. It's not just some arbitrary decision God made as to how, like, how am I going to offer salvation? I, I guess we'll say it's by faith. And if you just say, I believe, I'll let you in. Like those are some magic words. I believe and I'll let you in. When we view it that way, no wonder, like the gospel doesn't quite make sense to us and it won't make sense to the people around us. People around us ask, hey, if it's just saying, hey, I believe, then why would, he, why would God let this couple of words stay between me and him, heaven and hell? Wouldn't he, just, like, wouldn't he just let us in? But faith is not just a belief about something. It's an active believing in, trusting in God. It's setting him up. This is the right position, the proper relationship to God. It's setting him up in your heart and in your actions as your only source of good. That's the heart of what it means to be truly human, to be in right relationship or proper relationship with the creator. So you see, you can't work your way in. Not just because you can't work off the sin, that you, the sin debt that you owe, though the Bible tells us that's very clear. That's true. It's not just because we can't work our way into eternal life, not just because our sin separates us. The Bible tells us it, our sin is odious in God's nostrils. We are dirty and we must be clean, cleansed. We are guilty and we must be pardoned. We can't work our way out of that. 
God also describes us being dead in our trespasses and sins. It's a nature issue that we have. We can't work our way out of deadness. But even if that weren't the case, we couldn't work our way into the proper relationship with God. The very question asking what works must we do to earn eternal life showcase the problem in our heart. Because the only proper relationship that the created thing has to the creator is that of absolute and utter dependence. Utter and complete dependence and submission in all things. So you see why that question, what works must we do, is offensive to Jesus? And do you see why his answer can be offensive to us? See, Jesus offers eternal life that he will give to us that can only come from him and can only be given. He offers it. But many of us cling to our independence and our false idea about our ability rather than coming to him. It's the gift of God. Faith is the gift of God whereby he enables us to enjoy our dependence on him for all things. Faith is the gift of God where he gives you the ability to enjoy being dependent upon him for all things. Are you enjoying utter dependence on God? Have you begun Believing in, not just having a belief about, but believing in Jesus, putting yourself in proper relationship to him as your only source of good. If you have not done that, then that's a great diagnostic tool to show you that you're not actually a Christian. You might carry the label, you might be connected to the church, you might believe about the Bible, but you are not a Christian, you've not been born again. And then lastly, he says this. He says, not only is that source of life from the Son of Man, and it has to be given to us, he says, it has to be given by Jesus to you directly and personally. You see, eternal life isn't granted to you in return for something. There's a huge, this is a, a huge misunderstanding, even among Christians and churches who preach and believe the gospel. They think that live, like, eternal life is a reward for living correctly and believing correctly. That's the same beliefs that Jesus is up against with this crowd. That's not at all what eternal life is about. Eternal life is not about you believe correctly and live correctly and therefore you receive and return eternal life. It's totally rejected by Jesus here and throughout all his ministry. Did you know that even living right or believing right can actually push you further away from eternal life? If you're thinking that by living rightly and believing correctly, God owes me eternal life in return. Or even because Jesus lived rightly. You might say, hey, I'm sinful, but Jesus lived rightly for me. Therefore, God owes me. If I confess Christ as Lord, he owes me eternal life in return. If you think that he owes you anything in return, it is pushing your heart further and further away from God himself. 
And here's where the analogy of Jesus being the bread of heaven comes in. Bread is personal and it's direct. You gain no benefit from bread, from having it in your cupboard at home. You gain no benefit from bread by someone around you eating it. Eternal life is a relational connection. That's what Jesus is telling us. Eternal life is a relational connection. He said this in John 17. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowing him, experiencing life with and through him, that is what eternal life is. So believing is something that is active. You're believing in him to be all that he is. You are obeying him because of who he is to you. Not because to get anything out of return from him, but simply because of who he is to you. But do you hear what Jesus is saying? He says, I am the bread. I am eternal life. I am the one who gives it. Hear that? He says, I am the bread. I am eternal life. And I'm the one who gives it to you. I am all things in salvation for you. I am the bread. I am the life. I'm the one who gives it to you. He says, come to me today. Receive what he is, has given and he is given. Receive his body that is broken for you and his blood that has been poured out for you. That's what he's saying. Get off the loop of life. Hey, if you're here and you're not a Christian, get off the loop, never-ending, unsatisfying loop of life in the exit ramp that is Jesus Christ. And the relationship that he offers himself to you to be everything for you that you've ever needed, more than you've ever dreamed of. And if you're a Christian here today and you find yourself running around that loop, get off today. What must I do to get off? Simply look to Jesus. That's all you have to do to get off. That's all you have to do to get off that loop. Look to Jesus. You've been united to the great I am. We're going to look at that next week. I am, the great I am. Not just the source of eternal life, but eternal life himself. And he freely offers himself to you. That's what we're going to be celebrating now as we celebrate communion together. The band's going to come forward. I'm going to pray. And when the servers are going to come forward, they're going to offer two stations, one on each side. There'll be the, the bread, the wafer, and the cup, which is the blood of Christ. If you come from the outside, whenever the Lord, you know, whatever you see fit, whatever seems right to you, come forward and take that, return to your seats. And after the, that song is over, I'll come forward and I'll lead us in taking communion together where you are. Christ Jesus, I thank you that you offer yourself to us freely as the bread of life. That we don't have to seek for the food that perishes, but that we can partake of the food that leads us to eternal life. That we can get off the wearisome, labor-ridden, exhausting loop of life looking for something that the fuel that we're consuming can never deliver. But that you offer to us freely in yourself. 
Lord, forgive us for looking for you to even give us things like we owe it, like we're owed it. Like a certain kind of life is what you give us in exchange when it's actually yourself that you're offering. And if we have you, we know we have, we have no worries. We have to have no worries about our needs, where our meals are coming from, where our identity will be, how things will turn out. We know that you have it all. So Lord, help us get off that loop. And Lord, for those that need encouragement this morning, a reminder that you do have it. Lord, I pray that in the broken body and your shed blood and our worship as we end today, that they would find encouragement in you. In the name of Christ we pray.